Podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding die. Scripture reading this morning is the 25th Psalm, found on page 459 of the Blue Pew Bible. May God bless the reading of Holy Scripture. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me, to, teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions, According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O oh God, out of all his troubles. The word of the Lord. 
Let us pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are God, as Jesus declared to the Samaritan woman, that seeks out worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. Lord, it is not that you look around and happen to find people of this sort, but you seek them out and make them such. You make us worshipers who... As Paul says in Philippians 3, are worshipped by the Spirit of God through glory in Christ Jesus. Lord, as David says, you must open our lips that we praise you. You must make us, Lord, true worshipers. You must fix our hearts upon you. You must circumcise us, as it says in Deuteronomy 30, that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Oh, Lord. We come before you helpless. We ask you to shape us, mold us into worshipers. Make us glad in your presence. Make us to be those who trust you, who give our lives up to you. Oh, Lord, who live out our worship in our day-to-day lives. We thank you for your purpose to make us worshipers, to fulfill in us the chief end of man, which is to glorify and enjoy God forever. O Lord, we are your servants. We are the sheep of your pasture. You have made us your people. We have not made us ourselves. It is you that must do these things. And we thank you that you have purposed to do them in your sovereign grace. So work in our hearts, Lord, by your word, for we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. It's interesting when you uh, look through the book of Revelation and look at the worship that occurs in heaven and there's some recurring things in in the worship that's described there. Uh, You get it at first when John is confronted with Christ and his glory and it says that I fell at his feet as though dead. Later in chapter 4, there's giving him glory and honor and thanks and falling down. There is in chapter 5, to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, blessing and honor and glory and might and falling down. In chapter 7, the angels standing around the throne, they're all crying out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, blessing and glory and wisdom. And they fell on their faces before the throne. In chapter 11, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ, and He shall reign forever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worship God. And then in chapter 19, we read something similar as uh, they're crying out, Praise to our God, all his servants who fear him, small and great. Hallelujah. And they fell down. This is a description of what happens when people are confronted with the full reality of God. 
And that's what we want to explore. What should we be? How should we come into his presence? How should we respond? What is happening in worship anyway? And I want to put it forth this morning in three different points. First, that we come into worship for expression. We come into worship for submission. And we come into worship for formation. What do I mean by these? In expression, to express our whole being to God, the whole being of our love to God. Submission, that we're bringing our whole self to God. Okay, So we're expressing with all of our being our love to God, and we're bringing our whole self to God. And in the third place, we are... In formation, we are being trained for the whole of life. Formation. So that there's a time to, this is a time, and not that these are all divided up, they're all one thing, of course, but just different aspects of expressing our love to Him, of giving our lives up to Him, and being formed by Him in worship itself. So, in worship, in the first place, it is a, is a time of profound expression to God. It is a time in which, in a short of it, that we express our, the many aspects of our love to God. One guy puts it this way, this, to talk about worship is really just to talk about what we love. That's the whole basis of it. That's why, in, as I prayed in Deuteronomy 36, when he says that he's to circumcise our heart so that we would love him, this comes to its fullest expression in worship, where we profoundly, deeply seek to tell him how we feel about him, what we think about him. And, of course, we're going to explore this later, but... This not only applies to public worship, though we're going to focus on that this morning. It applies to every aspect of our life. It applies to every part of our life. Uh, that uh, The whole of our lives is this expression of love to Him. But this morning we're talking primarily about public worship. And so in worship, we, are, we acknowledge and enjoy and adore His greatness and love in every way possible. Okay, acknowledge, enjoy, and adore His greatness and love in every way possible. So our our worship is a response to the total of our total person to the totality of the revelation of God. Response of the whole of our being to the whole of who God is. Now, that's why these expressions, as we read in Psalm uh, 96, are so deep and so embrace, uh, embrace so much to say, ascribe to him the glory that is due his name. In some way, our praise is to try to match his worth. <laughs> that's, that, that's like climbing Mount Everest, of course. But to try to scale his glory with praise that somehow is giving him the glory that's due his name. And if you're really thinking about that, and you're really struck with the wonder and awe and the beauty and the majesty of God, the greatness of his love, then you really will sing out, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, right? 
Because you think, my one tongue is not doing the job, you know. My one tongue is not getting it. I need a thousand tongues. I need, I need thousands and thousands of tongues so that somehow I could lift up His glory. And that's one of the reasons we like to do it together. Just think of the difference in you by yourself singing in the pew and nobody else is in here. And you're singing loudly the praise of God versus 400 people singing loudly the praises of God with instrumentation, which the Psalms talk about. Then we have some sense, I've got at least a few hundred tongues that I'm, I'm joining in with to praise this God, to try to give him the glory that is due his name. So it's the response of the total person uh, to the total revelation of God trying to match his worth, trying to uh, scale somehow the heights of his glory as we praise him. And you could look at it in this way. It's a response to God in his, uh, to his deeds, to his person or character, to his word, and to his presence. So that we're responding to who he is, to what he's done, to what he's said, and to where he is. Because he is intimate with us. This glorious God. We come into his presence in a special way here. Why? Because we are the temple of God. It's not this building. This building has nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing to do with it. If we were meeting in the parking lot, it wouldn't be like, well, I guess I wish we were in there where God is. You know? No. He is with us wherever we are and where we are gathered. We form his temple. We form the place where he manifests his glory, the place where he manifests his presence most in a, in a concentrated way, in the most intense way. And that's why the psalmists are always looking to get to celebrate in the congregation. Even Jesus' words, uh, Jesus in Psalm 22, it's attributed to Christ that he loves to praise among his brethren. So Jesus is the one who's leading us in praise, leading us as the true and perfect human being in the praise of God. So this is a response to the full reality of who God is, what he has done, what he has said in his promises and his commands and his very presence among us. And his, his presence is, is so glorious that it says in Psalm 22, verse uh, 3, that he dwells on the praises of his people. And so there's this special sense as we come into his presence with praise, as we lift him up and adore him, that he all the more gives himself freely to us. It is pleasing to him that we should take joy in him. It is pleasing to him that there is the response, if not outwardly and physical, though we're going to talk about the physical uh, and how our bodies should be engaged in worship, that at least in our hearts there should be this falling down before him. You see, uh, uh, being gripped, at the very least this means being gripped with the awesomeness of God. The greatness of his love, the greatness of his power, the greatness of his wisdom, the greatness of what he's accomplished, the greatness of his promises, the glory of these rich commands that he's given to us, the greatness of his salvation in Christ Jesus. 
And of course, many times in worship, we're, we're not scaling those heights. It's almost as though we're shrugging our shoulders. You know, like if, if there was a bodily motion, you know, for how our hearts feel in worship, it'd be like, hmm, that. That's about it. Or maybe... You know, for, for all that our hearts are engaged in worship. Now, I don't want to put you under, throw you under the bus here because the last point is going to be that worship should form us to be these kinds of people. Because we're not. Okay? Even, even redeemed, we've got so far to go. We need to be formed. We need to be graciously worked on by God's grace. But that's what worship does. By participating in worship, we are formed into the kind of people that worship Him. But we keep before us then this this glorious picture of falling down before Him and acknowledging His glorious presence. So that's expression. And we'll, we'll talk about that continually throughout the month. But certainly this response to who God is and the fact that he is present in a most glorious way as we come together. And so, ideally, ideally, we look forward to being with the people of God, kind of like going on vacation, kind of like you know, Six Flags, kind of like your favorite thing that you ever get to do. How far from that are we? Okay, okay. <laughs> Recognize that, but we at least need to think... You know, the picture in heaven is not people distracted, not people uh, that are thinking about other things. They're people that are absolutely engaged and in wonder and glory and awe. And we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And certainly we're praying, oh Lord, bring down heaven to us so that uh, through all of worship we may engage and worship you. And... This doesn't mean that we worship and then in the preaching we don't worship, nor does it mean that we learn in the sermon and don't learn in the other portions. All of it comes together. And every part of of the worship is to train us and to teach us and to build us up and encourage us uh, and as well is a response to His Word. So, expression. Secondly, though, there is submission. So that, as it was put in some materials that we uh, attended, uh, several of us at a worship conference a couple of years back, says that we're to bring the full range of our human emotional experience before the Lord and submit it to His Lordship. I like that. To bring the full range of our human emotional experience before the Lord and to submit it to His Lordship. So, another way to put this is that we are entrusting the whole of our lives into His care, into His protection, and into His ownership. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 You no longer are your own, but you belong to Him. You've been bought with a price, the price of Jesus' blood. Gladly, you don't belong to yourself. Gladly, you're owned by God. And so, we are to bring the whole of our life into His presence. That's what you get, isn't it, in Psalm 25, that Dusty read. 
Because he, he says, Lord, let not my enemy, in the first uh, two verses, I lift up my soul to you. That represents everything. I lift up everything that's happening in my life. I lift up all the darkness and struggle and failure and weakness. I lift up all that I am to you, O Lord. That's the very first thing he says. So the, the idea that we only focus on God and we don't embrace one another and we have no idea, we're not even thinking about ourselves, not, not absolutely because I love what uh, David Pallinson said about prayer uh, in his forward to uh, the book, The Praying Life. He says, prayer is where your life and your God meet. That's what worship is. It's where your life and your God meet. Or to put it this way, it's where what you are meets with who God is. Who you are and who God is meet so that I'm bringing the fullness of my life before Him, to submit it to Him. This means an honesty in worship. And perhaps the analogy of falling down can be used at least as a metaphor here, that my pride must fall down before my God in His presence. All of my excuses need to fall down before Him. All of my dodging of God, all of my struggles, all of my uh, tendency to say, I'm, I can stand on my own. My self-protection, my, my self-righteousness, my self-dependence. All of these things must fall down before Him. All of my pretenses and hypocrisy needs to fall down before Him. There needs to be a helplessness and a transparency before God. And as well, all of my fear needs to fall down before Him. All of my anxieties, all of my unbelief needs to fall down in the presence of one who is so infinitely gracious and kind, pouring Himself out for the benefit of His people. And doesn't Isaiah say that, I dwell in verse uh, Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. I dwell in a high and lofty place, God says, and you know the other part, and also with the one who is broken and contrite of heart. So to bring brokenness, contriteness, helplessness, struggle, every part of our lives, it's not to be hidden. And, and sadly, that's many times the place where you hide the most is right here, right? Among each other. Like we're... we're Many times, very different people out there than we are here because we're all guarding ourselves against each other, you know. Oh, I'm good. Are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. We're all good. We're all perfect. This is the one place where we're all good, you know. I love that. I love that uh, sign on the church uh, before church that says, so-and-so church, I forget the name of it, where God is always good. I don't know where he is otherwhere, but here he's always good. And sometimes I think that should be a sign outside of church, you know, to the so-and-so church, Fort Worth Presbyterian Church, where people are always good. <laughs> At least how we... And it's interesting how many times I've talked to so many of you, and you talk about, well, all those people are so good. All those people have it together, all those people. And you're saying it about each other. You know, it's funny. Nobody feels themselves that they've got it together. Nobody does. 
We're all struggling. We're all helpless. We all need to breathe. We all need to be so much more like AA, where you come up and say, Darwin Jordan, I'm a sinner. I'm absolutely broken. That's who I am. That's all any of us is. I've had to talk to people about the leadership of this church. All those leaders, they're so this and that. You don't know where we've come from. Really, you don't. It would shock some of you. Some of you probably would not want me to be your pastor if you knew where God had brought me from, okay? We are sinners that are being saved. And one of the critical things in worship, and and this is partly this has to be encouraged. And You see, we have to proclaim to each other the kind of acceptance and openness that God has toward us. See? We can create an atmosphere that proclaims to one another, God doesn't want to hear about any of your problems because He's too good for that. Don't don't bring it in here. Don't talk about it. So this must be a place of expression of our love to God and it must be a place where we submit ourselves to Him. His care, to His protection, to His love, to His sovereignty, to His power, to His wisdom. To all that He is, to bring all that we are before Him. Where your life and your God meet. Well, thirdly then, there's expression, there's submission, and finally there is formation that we in worship are being formed by the things that we do. Now, in any relationship, uh, if it's a healthy relationship, for instance, a husband and wife will set aside Thursday night as date night. And it doesn't mean like, you know, if we feel good, if we really like each other Thursday night, then we'll go out. You know? <laughs> How are you feeling tonight? Mm, not so good. You said something yesterday and it really bugged me and... We hadn't really talked about it. I'd just rather not go. That's not the point of date night, is it? It's not the point of intimacy, ultimately, either, is it? Intimacy is to form you. It's the very nature of it. It, it, It's put up front in Genesis 2 as the thing that's most important for the relationship. A kind of design, a blueprint, a parable of how you're to be involved in each other's lives, the intimacy and oneness that you're to have. And you're to practice that, to, to get into the parable, to proclaim the parable to one another constantly, you see, to form yourselves by this glorious act. And, and, and in the way, that's the way date night works. That's the way manners work. That's when you teach your children to say please and thank you. Yeah, well, I don't, like I said to, uh, as I was putting, this is really funny, um, I was, I was putting uh, uh, Harper in her... No, she was in, she was in uh, Ethan's chair, uh, car seat, okay? And she hopped in there because she wanted his car seat. And uh, Easton was about to be put in the car. And I said, uh, Harper, you don't want him to be in this car seat because it's so big. He could get hurt. I mean, you don't want him to get hurt. I don't care. (laughs) Okay. Uh, (laughs) Trying to appeal to something and that doesn't even work, you know. Um, 
But you, you teach your children to say these things because you're trying to, you're trying to form them, right? You're trying to form them. It's not that just saying thank you and saying you're welcome, et cetera, but you're trying to create the very gratitude that follows that, right? Trying to get them to feel those things as well. And that's what worship is for, for us. It's not only something coming out of us through our expression, but it's also something being formed into us as we worship. And that's so encouraging. That we come week after week to submit to a holy, gracious, powerful process that God is bringing about in our lives. Forming us, not just in the sermon, but forming us by our confession. Forming us by our confession of sin. Forming us in our prayers. Forming us in our singing of hymns. These are the way he, the ways He chisels us, makes us into people who worship Him. And so, uh, the Psalms call us to these actions. They call us to praise Him. They call us to rejoice in Him. They call us to give Him the glory due His name because these are not natural to us. It doesn't say when you feel like it, do it. Okay? Praise Him. Lift Him up. Say thank you. Say you're welcome. Right? Now, of course, we do so, if, if our hearts are not engaged, we do so in a submission to God's Word with the hope and expectation that He will bless us in it and form us in it. And the patience of, and trust of doing it kind of an eager dissatisfaction that we're not where we want to be, but we're going to continue to do these things so that God will form us and create us worshipers. And it's every part of worship, submitting to His shaping and molding so that uh, the, it's the formation in worship of our deepest love for Him. And that, that is encouraging. It is encouraging. Because if we're not in rapture every week, we can, we can be in despair. We can be frustrated. Uh, but we don't have to worry about that ultimately, but to say, Lord, I submit myself to your powerful working. Form me into a person who worships you. Form us into people who worship you. And that's why I've talked about John 4. He seeks worshipers that worship him in spirit and in truth. He will seek you out and form you into a worshiper who is filled and molded by the Holy Spirit and who worships Him in truth. And so in this formation, we're like the U.S. Corps of Engineers that sometimes has to reroute a river or a stream and we come together to reroute our affections, to reroute our joy, to reroute our perspectives, to reroute and and recalibrate ourselves upon the glory of God. It is a way, uh, Ambrose of Milan said, prayer is God's gymnasium, or that, that worship is God's gymnasium of prayer. So it's the place we work out. We go to all the machines, you know, to work out. And It's the experiences in worship blossom out of being rooted in healthy practices in worship. 
and and so the redemptive story you'll see is is proclaimed even before we get to the sermon. The redemptive story there's there is so much in worship that if a person never hears the sermon, they could come in and hear about Christ in the very singing and confessions and prayers that we have beforehand. There's a formation there, you see. And one of the important things about being formed in this way is that we don't come or should not come. We do come this way, many of us, myself included. But we tend to to come and filter out the things we don't really care about that day, right? We're looking for particular tidbits, the appropriate things, the relevant pieces for our specific situation, not thinking about God's sovereignty and how he's forming us for something that may occur to us three months from now. You better pay attention. You better listen. You better embrace all the praises and confessions and prayers because God is forming you for what you don't know. See, God has a plan for you in this worship. And it's bigger than anything you could imagine. God has his hands upon us in worship. And so we open ourselves to a full range of revelation, things about God that we may think that, well, I don't want to hear about God's judgment today. I'm just not going to listen about God's judgment today. Well, that's what God has for you today is his judgment. And he's wise in this. And it's the fullness of the glory of God that you need to have for the whole of your life. And we tend to be cafeteria style, you know. Mm, yeah, I like some jello. Ooh, don't like beef liver. Uh, chicken, yes. Uh, you know, that, that's our approach in worship many times. Or it's like we're picking out just the right top for that party we're going to, you know. No, we're being outfitted for war here, okay? This is battle gear, and he is equipping us with his word, not just in the sermon, but in the whole of worship. He is equipping us to go to battle. So what's so glorious about this, too, is that it's cumulative. It's not just the particular need that week, but he's building you week after week, brick after brick after brick. And over a period of years to form you into a different kind of human being through the public worship of God. And sad to say, many of us treat worship as either I'm going to see some people there I like. I'm going to hear a few good things maybe I can take away. I like some of the music they do. I like the RUF things or I like the fact that they still sing some traditional songs that really make me feel neat. You know, all that kind of stuff rather than coming to say, God is coming together with his people to form us, to form us. And I'm coming with his people submitting to that gracious formation that worship accomplishes in our lives. And as we know his presence here, then we begin to live out his presence in the whole of life. What you and I taste here and believe here and know and experience here, we're to move it out and to experience it, know it in everyday life so that these sweet tastes that we get begin to extend throughout the week. And then the tastes of him during the week feed back into worship the next Lord's Day. What a great circle that can be, you know. Or it can be a circle downward, you know. You ignore him in the week, you're bored at worship. You ignore him in the week, you're bored at worship, you're ignored. 
May God cause us to be blessed greatly in His presence week after week here. Uh, Bigger than the preacher, bigger than any individual, bigger, bigger than the officers, bigger than anything. It's the glory of God that it comes to manifest itself. And He is here to all who will believe Him. All who will believe Him. Come with expectation. Remember what Jesus said, the sad thing, that He could do no miracles in those cities because of their unbelief. What's going to happen if we come Sunday after Sunday? We're not even believing that he's going to do anything. What is he going to do? Nothing. (laughs) But for all of us believing him, he will accomplish great things because those who helplessly trust in him from their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for what worship will do for us, how it is the most glorious opportunity together with your people to express our love to you, Lord, and to submit all the brokenness and struggle and pain and disheartening things that occur to us, the tremendous setbacks with our health, uh, financially, job, uh, with family, so many difficulties. And yet this is the time, Lord, where we can bring in all of our hard, terrible things and submit them to your gracious lordship, to your care, to your protection. And, oh, Lord, to know all the while we're being formed into a people, formed into a holy people by the very acts, by the very practices, by the very uh, training of this worship. Oh, bless us, Lord. Bless us in expression and submission and formation that we will bring great glory and honor to you and find great refreshment in your presence. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?